Fast first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is another edition of Mailbag Monday, answering listener submitted questions all episode long. If you want to get involved with Mailbag Monday, there's two ways to do it. First, just tweet at me at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. Whenever you're thinking of a question, send it my way. Or wait for the tweet I send out on Monday mornings around 9 a.m. Pacific time soliciting questions for the show. You respond there. You'll get in the show. If you are not a Twitter user, you can just send me an email. LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com I will check the email before the show starts. Get you in the show that way. Those are the two ways to do it. We do this every week. Usually it's on Mondays. Sometimes my schedule or the way that the content machine of the NBA works out, it doesn't always fall on Mondays, but I typically record it on Monday evenings. So without further ado, let's get into it. This first question come from, comes from Dame Jr.'s Burner account at Burner Dame on Twitter who asks, Defensively, what is wrong with playing Nazir Little at the three? I know he's basically a zero offensively, but in the time he played this season, he proved to be a very capable and mobile defender, someone who could hypothetically defend a LeBron-type player. Dame's burner. Dame Jr.'s burner, excuse me. Baby Dame's burner. You aren't the only one who wondered this. Jeff from Gmail asked or sent this question in saying, I have heard you talk a lot about replacements for Trevor Ariza, but, have never, but you never seem to mention Nazir Little. When you do, it's been the Blazers have always played him at four, so he's a four. However, he does seem to be quick enough to guard three, so why can't he play the three? Was his playing the four more a function of the fact that we had no big men after injuries to Zach and Scal? Everyone's wondering about Nazir Little. Okay, yeah, I left him off the list. And I'll answer both your questions in one fell swoop. That's why I read them together. Um... The reason why I said the Blazers see him as a four, so they play him at four, is because they had plenty of options to play him at three next to Carmelo Anthony and avoided it at all costs. I think some of my explanation is Terry Stotts likes to do this, so considering that he would do something totally different seems unfair. But I, I, reading both of these questions, I think that I probably sold not short. He probably will play minutes at the three. Listening to Terry Stotts' interview he did with the media last week, or listening to him answer those questions, he he basically conceded that Nazir and Mario Hazonia will both get a limited chance to play the to play some small forward. Um, and if Nas is going to play in Orlando, he's going to have to play the three because now the Blazers have Carmelo Anthony, who's going to play definitely some minutes at the three, but I think it's easier to find minutes for him at the four and, and go a little bit smaller. Terry Stott said that he couldn't he couldn't see a steady or a major diet of Carmelo at the three. And because they just, the Blazers just have too many bigs with Zach Collins, Hassan Whiteside, and Yusuf Nurkic all healthy. There are just fewer minutes at those two front court spots, and you've got to slide down a spot to a three. While Nazir Little, I view him as a power forward in the future, and I view him as a power forward in the NBA for this specific team in this specific time. I think, Jeff, you are correct that he can play a little bit of small forward and will play a little bit of small forward. But both Baby Dame's burner, Dame Jr.'s burner, and Jeff both pointed out that Nazir Little could defensively play the three. And I think Dame Jr.'s question saying that Nas is a zero offensively but proved to be a capable and mobile defender is 
close to how I view Nazir Little. I think he's a little better than a, a zero on offense, um, but I take your point. He doesn't create much for himself. He's not enough of a shooter to be considered a threat on the wing. One of the reasons I view him better as a four than as a three. And his best offensive is kind of cutting from either the baseline for a lob or from that dunker spot just filling in space. Those are things that big men do. But the question is more about who can he defend? Because that is a better way to define your position in the NBA is who you can guard, not necessarily who guards you. But here is my concern. I do think Nazir Little uh, projects as a pretty good defensive player in the league. He's long, he's really athletic, he's strong, um, he, he has the build of someone who could be a, a, a high-level, multi-position defender in the league. Uh, I don't know if he's ever going to achieve that, but he certainly looks like he has um, those tools in the bag. But what he is not is a very capable defender right now. You will recall just before the Blazers signed uh, Carmelo Anthony, Nazir Little was the starting power forward, and one of those games included a home game against the Toronto Raptors, in which the Raptors came back by taking Nazir Little to the post with pa- Pascal Siakam, and, and Pascal Siakam just torched Nas. And it wasn't for lack of effort, and it wasn't like Nazir Little did well, he was in position, he just was overmatched. He is not quite ready to guard the stars in the league. He, he would be hard-pressed to guard LeBron James, much less Jason Tatum, Kawhi Leonard, Luka Doncic, a lot of a lot of high-level wings. That said, I don't know if the Blazers have a better answer than Nazir Little. I just believe fairly strongly that Nazir is not the answer to that, and his limitations on offense make him a poor choice to play the three because he doesn't give you enough pluses on the other end. Like, as, as poor as Gary Trent Jr. might fare against a LeBron-type player, at least he's a real spacing wing on the other end that provides obvious offensive bonuses. So I think Nazir's, while he might eventually be this thing, the person who can guard star wings and threes and four and types and switch on to a lot of different players and use his length and use his strength, I don't think he's there now. If he was there now, he would be a different player. Like, he wouldn't be Nazir Little out of the rotation on a kind of bad team. He would be a guy who plays every night because they truly need him. In the future, Nazir Little might be that. Right now, he isn't. Speaking of the future, Andy Patton at Andy Patton SEA, or the abbreviation for Seattle, Andy asks, After seeing year one, What are some realistic best-case and worst-case outcomes for Nazir Little's NBA career? Everyone's talking Nas. We're spending the whole first segment talking Nas. So here's what I think. I thought Nazir Little projected coming out of college. You'll remember that he went to the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill. I watched every single minute of his college career um, as a Chapel Hill native and still a towny dork. Something I commit myself to, even the seasons where Carolina is super bad like they were this year. Um... I thought he would be, coming out of school, I thought he would be a an NBA-level starter and a, a, like a, a really good player. And I kind of think that's where I project him now as the best-case scenario is that I don't see an all-star in this year little. But I do see a, like a high-level role player for a long period of time. Uh, I don't want to give a, a comp because I think that's kind of like a, a limits his ceiling or limits what, limits like... A, an imagination of what you think he might be, but um, I see him as a as a guy who could maybe develop into a standstill shooter and and projects as a really good athlete and a really good defensive player. Um, 
why I don't think he's a star, because I just don't think he has enough individual offense to become a star. But I think in the best case scenario, he is a great straight line driver. He can, you know, has a couple moves maybe out of the post or the mid post to get himself free. And he can shoot, you know, if he stands still, he can be a league average to slightly above average three point shooter. I don't, I think that's a best case scenario outcome is that Nazir Little is the fourth or fifth best starter on a very good team. The worst case scenario is just that, I guess it's just that he never really develops the sort of offense that would complement his physical gifts. Um, if he remains a, a like a very below average shooter with this uh, sort of in, limited individual offense, very limited individual offense, and he doesn't materialize into this, he doesn't use his tools to become a great defender. There's plenty of stories of guys in the league who had physical tools and couldn't put it all together. Everything I've heard about him is he's someone who wants to improve and and, and all these things, hard worker and stuff like that. Usually don't hear publicly that guys are not hard workers. Those are things you hear behind closed doors. So maybe we'll have to check back in the off season to find out what Nas is doing. But I guess in general, the worst case scenario for Nazir Little is that he is just a NBA caliber athlete who's not an NBA caliber player is that his limited offense never develops and this potential that I think a lot of us see in him to be a to be a really useful defensive player just never comes to fruition because maybe his the sort of mental side of the game is doesn't align with his physical gifts he wouldn't be the first person to have to look like an NBA defender and not be one all right that's a whole segment full of Nas talk we really did it All right, second segment, coming back, answering more of your questions. But first, I want to tell you all about rockauto.com. rockauto.com is a family business serving auto part customers online for 20 years. And you can go to rockauto.com right now to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals as they are for the do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. All right, let's keep it rolling on Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Douglas Holstrom, Dougie Froth on Twitter, who asks, Everyone is saying, how can the Blazers defend the three? What about how are other teams going to defend Dame when he's surrounded by four competent scores? Dougie. What you've done is you've found a straw man and you've kicked that straw man right in his groin. Take that, straw man. I don't think people are worried about the Blazers' offense. I have said on this podcast multiple times, I am not worried about the Blazers' offense. They could start literally anyone at small forward alongside, basically they could start anyone at the three and the four alongside Dame, CJ, and Nurk, and I think this would be an above average to potentially very good offense you put mellow in there and even off the bench mellow in there playing with those guys i think you're looking at one of the easily one of the top 10 10 offenses in the league and if you're just talking about teams in orlando i think this is among even of the playoff teams an elite offense it's an elite offense so 
Dame's surrounded by four competent scores. I would push back against that. You know, he's he's kind of been that, and they've been good. So this was an elite offense all year. The reason that, that the straw man you've created that's worried about whether the Blazers can defend on the perimeter, defend the three-point line and small forwards, I'm going to take both readings of the word the three there that you gave me, is because they sucked at it all year. They were 27th in the NBA in defense, and it tanked their season. Defense is important. Their offense can be really, really good, and they still won't be good enough to compete. Next question comes from Thomas Cogswell, at Thomas Cogswell on Twitter, who asks, Do you think Dame C.J. Mello, Zach Nurk is the starting lineup? If so, who gets the bench minutes outside of Simons, Trent Jr., Little, and Whiteside? Is it Wenyan Gabriel? Let me just, let me just pull a handbrake real quick. It ain't going to be Wenyan Gabriel. I know I floated that idea that maybe they even give Gabriel minutes, but that was kind of just like if they were, if they were doing something really outside the bun. But look, they're not going outside the bun. Um, that was my own bad idea. Don't listen to me, Thomas. Um, here's what's, here's what's going to happen. I do think that Dame, CJ, Mello, Zach, Nurk is the starting lineup. I didn't think that before. I thought they were going to protect Hassan Whiteside's ego or or respect what he'd given to the team for the first 66 games of the season and let him continue to start and bring Nurk off the bench. Uh, I also thought Nurk might be on a minutes restriction when he came back just because of sort of reasonableness. Uh, after listening to Nurk's interview and an interview with Terry Stotts, uh, Nurk says he's not going to be on a minutes restriction. Terry Stotts said that he is leaning towards starting Dame, CJ, Mello, and Nurk, and he is deciding who the fourth person is. I'm going to guess that fourth person is Zach Collins. I think we we will see a little bit of um, Nurk and Hassan together, but I think Zach Collins starts at four. Um, so I do think you have guessed the exact starting lineup, and I think I was wrong about stuff. I think I I think spending three months not getting to talk to Blazers players and coaches allowed me to come up with my own bad ideas. I thought it was going to be Dame, CJ, Gary Trent Jr., Mello, and Hassan Whiteside. I was just wrong about Zach and Nurk. Sounds like they're going to get much bigger roles. But to answer your question, who gets minutes off the bench? Gary Trent Jr. for sure. Hassan Whiteside for sure. I guess Anthony Simons for sure. I, I don't. He's not as much of a lock as those first two. And then it sounds like listening to... Uh, Terry's uh, availability last week is that he's considering uh, Nazir Little and Mario Hazonia for limited minutes, but he said that the rotation will be tight. He will treat it like a playoff game. That means that I would expect seven to eight guys, not eight to nine, and certainly not ten. So Dame, CJ, Mello, Zach, Nurk, Gary Trent Jr. is on Whiteside, seven absolute locks, Simons, Little, Hazonia battling for those other two, one or two spots off the bench. Next question comes from Tom O'Dell at ZimaGuy69 on Twitter who asks, both Stotts and Dame have talked about the likelihood of Mello playing a lot of the three in Orlando. Could you do us a favor and quickly explain again why Mello at the three is a terrible idea? It's mostly a terrible idea because he's a power forward. Um, I, I know that we're in this era of positionless basketball and I think you can still do what Mello does kind of on offense if um, you have Zach Collins in the game because I think Zach can get further away from the rim and still at least uh, draw some attention. I think you can still play two post types with Nurk and Mello in there, and I'm not super concerned about the about the offense really with Mello in there. I think it'll be a little wonky, but I think you can figure it out. The problem comes on defense. Here's what happens when Mello plays the three. You come down the court and you're two non-Dame defenders on the wing are C.J. McCollum and Carmelo Anthony. You're trying to guard Luka Doncic and Seth Curry. 
This is just one example. You say Seth Curry is is probably a better matchup speed-wise for C.J. McCollum. You put C.J. on there. That means one of the best offensive players in the league is being guarded by 36-year-old Carmelo Anthony, who even in his prime wasn't a particularly good defensive player. Melo is active and interested on defense, but he is slow Even against fours, he's a little bit slow rotating over. He's not super long. What he is is strong and usually in the right spot, but it doesn't matter as much if the dudes run by you. Now imagine the same scenario except that it's Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Now imagine the same scenario except it's Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Who does CJ guard? Who does Melo guard? And which one of those dudes is going to get lit up because it's going to be one of them? That is the problem, Zima guy. Next question comes from Matthew at Reverend Romulus on Twitter, who gives us a three-for-one who asks, who has the highest three-point percentage in the bubble, Nurk, Whiteside, or Nazir Little? I'm going to go with Nurk. He's gonna. He's not going to shoot as many as you think. Whenever you think Nurk is going to shoot threes, he's going to shoot less. So if you think he's going to shoot two a game, I'm going to say he's going to shoot less than one. Um, Nurk, Nurk slightly. Um, I don't... Nas probably going to shoot too many and going to hurt his percentage. Whiteside probably will shoot close to none, maybe one or two in there, but um, he better hit him. He better hit him. Next question from also from Matthew. This is the three for one who says, who plays more minutes at power forward between those three? I'm going to say Yusuf Nurkic, which is a crazy thing to say out loud considering he's a seven foot tall, nearly 300 pound center. And this is my favorite of the three for one. Will there be a three center lineup at any point? So this would be the idea that you'd play Nurk, Hassan Whiteside, and then Zach Collins. (laughs) No, but I want to hearken back to a time when there was a three center lineup. Uh, Tim Duncan was drafted in, in 1997 and in his first, uh, playoff, uh, round, his first his, his playoff debut, he started at small forward. Tim Duncan, who was probably a center for almost all of his career, except when he's playing next to David Robinson, started at small forward. You got to turn back the clock a long way for, for, to find a good team that played three centers. It's pretty incredible. Uh, I want it to happen because it's funny and it's definitely a scenario I've considered just looking at the Blazers roster, but no, it's not going to happen. All right, another question from Tom Odell at ZimaGuy69 on Twitter who asks... Stotts has stated that he hasn't ruled out playing Whiteside and Nurkic together in the same lineup. Nurkic has also stated that he expects to play some four in Orlando. Could you do us a favor and explain why playing Whiteside and Nurkic together is a terrible idea? This is um, a segment where Tom O'Dell asks me to explain why things are bad ideas. Here's why I don't lo- I like, I kind of like the Nurkic-Whiteside pairing for just the sheer experimental value of it. Can this work? But I'm very skeptical, mostly because... Um, Whiteside isn't a particularly good passer, like, and you kind of, when, when you have limited spacing, uh, it becomes an issue, like, you want everyone to be a plus passer. Also, it's the best pick and roll tandem you have is Nurk and Damian Lillard, and where does Whiteside stand when that pick and roll is happening, and how, how does he keep teams honest when, when that spacing happens? So I'm worried about spacing on offense. I'm also just worried about how teams just might spread them out on defense and just take who, you know, both those guys are either going to want to stay close to the paint and protect the rim naturally, which is going to give up perimeter jump shots because they're going to go under on screens just because of their natural instincts or stuff like that. Or they're going to be so attuned to getting out to shooters, they're going to come away from the rim and then their value on defense when they're outside of the paint gets diminished greatly. 
It's just they're a bad pairing because neither of them are sort of long-range bombers, and Whiteside is relatively limited just in overall offensive ability. And Nurk's passing gets somewhat limited when there is less space, less lanes, uh, and defensively they're just they're just slow-footed against a league that's trying to go faster. I think it can work in small doses. I'm not totally, totally, totally against it, but um, I, I do think it is a bad idea. I'm with you on that. All right, third segment, come back, close out the show, answering more of your questions on this glorious Mailbag Monday here at Locked On Blazers headquarters. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. You are still listening to Locked On Blazers because we are still rolling through Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Jason from Gmail who asks, can you break down the differences between Nurk's defensive game and Whiteside's defensive game? Yeah, um, Whiteside is is just a better athlete and he's so much longer than Nurk that he sometimes gambles or is slow to rotate because he knows he can physically make up for it. While Yusuf Nurkic's best skill is a certain level of fearlessness and positioning. Think about the time that Nurk got mercilessly dunked on LeBron James. What he did was rotate over to the best player in the league, jump with him as he rose to dunk, and didn't worry about getting absolutely crammed on. Blazers won that game, but it didn't feel like it. Nurk is just, he's a better position defender for the scheme. I think he has a better understanding of what Terry Stotts wants to do. And he's not as as uh, as shot blocking happy. Um, Nurk, Nurk will chase them occasionally, certainly. But he's, he's more of a, because he's not this elite leaper, he's more of a get in your way and be big as opposed to like sneak up from behind or try to jump with you and, and come up with a highlight block. I don't. I, I've I've been hard on Whiteside in this podcast, probably unfairly. I don't think he's like a terrible defensive player. I just think he's like a average defensive player who is seven foot one. You know that 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 would be how I would describe it. Next question comes from. Oh, actually, Jason, you asked a second question. Let me hit you with this real quick. Jason from Gmail asks, do you listen to any, to any NBA podcasts or non-sports podcasts? What are your favorites? I don't really listen to sports podcasts. Um, I guess someone from the Locked On Network is going to listen to this. And guys, I y'all, I just don't listen. I just don't listen to many sports podcasts. Sorry. The only basketball, the only sports podcast, period, that I listen to is Round Ball Rock, hosted by Joey Devine and Sean King. Sean Keen, excuse me. Those guys are geniuses. Uh, it's not really about basketball, but it sort of is. They're hilarious. Strong recommend. Other non-sports podcasts I listen to, um, My Brother, My Brother and Me, Jordan, Jesse, Go, Doughboys, Mission to Zix, Hello from the Magic Tavern, Judge John Hodgman, Stop Podcasting Yourself, Oh uh, Yeah Dude. That seems like a pretty good list. Those are the podcasts I listen to. I'm someone who listens to a bunch of podcasts, but I guess I don't listen to sports ones. Okay, next question comes from Logan Gillis, at Logan Gillis on Twitter, who asks, Thoughts on the departure of Kevin Calabro and his time with the organization? What should we expect from Jordan Kent? So Kevin Calabro, uh, play-by-play TV voice of the Blazers, decided to leave the team, step away from the team, and he will be replaced, from what I understand it, temporarily in Orlando by Jordan Kent. Um... First, just on the Jordan Kent stuff, because I don't have I don't have a ton of insight. Um, the, he's an incredibly nice guy. Uh, I know him mostly from my appearances on uh, Trailblazers Courtside. He's obviously 
a really high-level athlete, played in the NFL, played three sports in college. Like, he's more than capable of talking about basketball at a high level, and he's done it on TV for a long time. Uh, Play-by-play is a different thing. Like, it's a different skill set. So I think he'll be fine, but uh, that's a hard that's a hard job to, to jump into. Um, he's got a good TV voice, though. I think um, there's no reason not to think that he won't be pretty good at it. My thoughts on Calabro is that when he first got here, I thought he had a golden voice and was shitty at the job. Um, I say this as someone who really straight up loves Kevin Calabro, the human. Um, he was as nice to me as anyone who works for the Blazers organization. Uh, when I got laid off from the Oregonian, he reached out to me and immediately it was one of the, just like kind of a stranger reaching out almost to, to uh, send his condolences and say nice things. Like he's a he's a good dude. He's an incredibly kind guy. All the nice stories you've heard about him being a kind guy are true, and. I think he really grew with the team. I think um, after that first season, maybe even just the first like 60 games of that season, he grew from someone who was learning the team and learning the culture and had a golden voice to being just really good. He's funny. He's weird. He's got he's got the varied vocabulary, but also like the specific little things like terminate the dribble and across the timeline. Um things you like um you know that that give that give a broadcast character like i said have said a million times golden voice like truly just an incredible announcer voice and i think he, he learned to love and appreciate the team he learned to sort of ingratiate himself to blazers fans by learning the culture of blazer basketball he was always going to be a seattle guy living kind of out of place in this portland world but i think he became uh, like i really liked him by the end of his tenure here as as i always liked him as a person but i thought he he um grew into being really, a really just a really good play-by-play guy like one of the better one of the better ones in the league certainly um and and much like it was hard to replace Mike Barrett after 15 years I think in four seasons it will be hard for whoever fills the shoes of Calabro to fill his or fills the spot of Calabro to fill his shoes like he's he was that good and his chemistry with Lamar Hurd became really fun. They kind of moved away from the I'm the old white guy, he's a young black dude to like we are just different people who are funny together and I and um I I enjoyed it. I will miss Calabro on the broadcast um when I when I listen to him. Next question comes from Adam Nakamura at Adam Naka28 on Twitter who asks, Hey Mike, do you think the signing of Jalen Adams could be the si- could be a sign the Blazers are losing faith in Simons, or is that an overreaction? Adam, you have done a classic journalistic thing where you you asked a good question and then you added a little tag on the end to give the subject an out. So the out is yeah, that's an overreaction. But I'll still answer your question anyways because everyone makes mistakes in journalism. It happens all the time. Um, I read a John Hollinger piece today that's basically said, keep an eye on Jalen Adams because he might be better than Anthony Simons. I think that's a little bit of an overreaction too. Um, Terry Stotts basically explained that they signed him to be a practice body. Uh, they're they're kind of low on ball handlers. They don't want to run Damon CJ through a bunch of grueling practices. So they're going to need people who are like just straight up, more, more dudes who are straight up point guards to get kind of everyone on the same page and everyone playing without taxing Damon CJ too much. He basically said he's going to be a practice, an important practice player in Orlando and not that he was kind of part of the plan. So I, um, I, tend to believe Terry when he says that. I don't always believe Terry when he says stuff, but I, I tend to think that's the truth. I don't think Simons is in trouble. The 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 front office loves him too much and it's too early in his career to to write him off. The 
the problem that the Blazers made with Simons was they gave they they cleared the runway for him in year two after pretty much waiting for every other prospect they've ever had two full seasons. And I think let's let's wait till year three to really judge Simons because he's he was bad this year. He was pretty stinky, but he this is we are it is far too early to say to write him off, and I certainly don't think the Blazers are writing him off and. More to your point, if they are losing faith in Simons, I think he just disappears from the rotation and you play Damon CJ and Gary Trent Jr. more. Um, I don't think you turn to another guard in that situation, at least for what the Blazers are going to do in these eight games in Orlando. Okay, next question. Hamilton from Gmail asks, who do you think is the best defensive player on the team? It's a multi-part question, but the first one is, who do I think the best defensive player on the team? During the season, it was Hassan Whiteside. I don't think it was particularly close. Um, I'm not sure the Blazers had an above-average defender on the roster other than Whiteside all year long. Trevor Reza, arguably above-average, like league-average defender. I think he's kind of the league-average, but he's he, you could make a case that I would believe if you think he's an above-average defender. But prior to assigning Ariza, I don't think they had a single player on the roster who was above-average in the NBA or above-average at their position as a defensive player. It was Hassan Whiteside by a lot. Now that everyone's back, I kind of think it's Yusuf Nurkic with Zach Collins close behind him. Um, Collins' defensive ability is more theoretical than functional at this point. We have seen him play good defense for small stretches and and in very important big moments like guarding Nikola Jokic in the playoffs last year. What we haven't seen is him just be a really good defender for a really long period of time. So I think Collins eventually is the best defender on the team, but I think right now, assuming Nurk is as healthy as he says he is, it goes Nurk, Collins, Whiteside, maybe Nurk, Whiteside, Collins. But I but I think it's Nurk, Collins, Whiteside. Okay, next question from Hamilton, or still from Hamilton, is what do you think about Damian Lillard on the cover of NBA 2K? Um, I think it's cool. Um, I guess I don't know. I it it doesn't. It seems like a big deal for him and his brand, but for, it doesn't do much for me. Also, like I'm under the impression that people don't buy physical copies of video games. So on the cover means like on the load screen of NBA 2K, which isn't as cool as it used to be. Uh, it's cool for him though. It, it it kind of furthers my joke about him as he wants to always pretend that he's like underappreciated and underrepresented, except that he gets all these like big national sponsorships. Um, it's just like it's just a false narrative. And this being on the cover of the popular video game is another one. Like along with Zion Williamson and Anthony Davis, whoever it is, like it's he's among the famous people and the well-respected stars in the league. So. It's cool, though. It's cool. It's undeniably cool. I think it's cool that a Blazer is on the cover of a video game. Um, it's it's tight. If you're a Blazer fan and you're a video game person, I recommend you buy the Damian Lillard version of the game, I guess. Okay, third question, still from Hamilton. Hamilton asks, Who do you think we should be most concerned with, the Pelicans or the Kings? Gotta assume the we here is the Trailblazers and not, like, the Locked On Blazers community. I don't think we should be concerned with either of those um, teams. The Locked On Blazers community is not under threat by the Pelicans or the Kings. Um, I think both those teams are more threatening. Like, who do I think has a better chance to pass the Blazers in the standings? Pelicans by virtue slightly of their schedule, but the Kings were playing really well at the end of March. Uh, if you're talking head-to-head, I think the Blazers match up a little better with the Kings than they do the Pelicans. Um, the Kings kind of mostly go with two traditional bigs, which fits the Blazers' plan a little bit better, and they don't have super elite scoring from big wings like Brandon Ingram, which gives the Blazers problem because, again, who the hell guards him? 
So I, I think it's the Pelicans, but I think they're both. You should be concerned with both. Okay, final question of the show. Isn't even a question. It's just from my dude Bob from Gmail, a true king, who asks. Actually, who just lays out this email that I'm going to read all of it to you because it's good work. This is good work. If you do good work, you get the whole email read. If you do okay work, I'm still reading your question. If you do bad work, I'm still reading your question. That's the kind of guy I am. But if you do really good work like Bob does here, you get the whole dang email in the show. Bob writes... It's time to go bargain bin hunting for 2020 free agents. The Blazers are slated to have nine players under contract for next season, assuming Rodney Hood and Mario Hazonia opt into their player options. Adding the team's two 2020 draft pick picks, this puts the team at 11 players. Knowing the team does not have much financial flexibility under the cap, signing a minimum or close to the minimum salary players will be a large part of their offseason. Who are some guys you could see the Blazers going after? And who are some undervalued, overlooked free agents that you personally would pursue if you were Neil Olshay? I will name a few favorites. Kenrick Williams, a solid all-around combo guard, combo forward who excels at rebounding and effort. Early on in the Pell season, he was tasked with defending the opposing team's best wing score, a low-usage guy who hasn't shot it well, but was respectable in college, slated to be a restricted free agent, but I could easily see the Pelicans letting him become unrestricted with their crowded young team. Semi Ojale, a big, strong defensive wing who can hold his own against the best wing initiators in the league. What more do I have to say? Is it something the team severely lacks at this? This it is something the team severely lacks at the moment. The other side of the court is where you face some issues with Ojale. He's a restricted free agent as well, but has fallen out of favor a bit in Boston, and they will be penny pinching too. Damari Carroll, one of the biggest mysteries of the season for me, was productive in his previous stop in Brooklyn, signed for a mid-level in San Antonio, and then completely fell off the map and was waived. Father Time might have gotten to him at 34. Let's see if he shows any signs of life for Houston during the restart. John Conchar, real heads only for this one. Conchar has produced wherever he's played throughout his time in college, the G League, and limited minutes in the NBA. He has absolutely been an advanced metric stud. I'm not sure what exactly what he is. A bit, a bit of a jack of all trades as a six-five guard, but I believe he's an NBA player, and the Blazers should take a look at him. Bob. Bob, this email is the greatest email that in my tenure of Locked On Blazers, which is roughly 15 months long is um, this is the best email we've received in 15 glorious months. Bob, a true king. And honestly, if king is too gendered of a title, a true leader and guiding light for those who try to craft wonderful emails for Locked On Blazers. Here's what I'm going to do. You already did the work. I'm not going to name any more free agents. You just knocked this shit out of the park. I'll go through them quickly. I like Kenrick Williams, a.k.a. Kenny Hustle. Um, the The... Before Zion was healthy, he was kind of the like worst player on their team who played regularly. But then when Zion came back, Kenrick was a really nice role player, which kind of shows that like like you said, a low usage guy in a small role, he's much he's really useful. But when you ask him to do too much, his flaws get exposed tremendously. I really like him as an option for the Blazers. Kenrick Williams would be high on my list, and he is someone who graded out really well pre-draft. He's the kind of guy that that Neil Olshay might go after. Semi Ojale. Um, I, I'm not a fan. I know that he's like an internet 
sensation because he has big big arms like thick arms or whatever he's he's like strong he's a he's a strong person so like the internet likes to talk about how strong he is um he's not the guy for me a little too small um so limited on offense um he he could be a nice like if i if you could just replace whatever Hazonia does with whatever semi shemi does i think it's shemi actually actually i was pronouncing it wrong um if you get Shemi in there, and as opposed to Mario Hazonia, I'm all for it, like as a 11th, 12th guy, but I don't love him as a regular rotation player. Damari Carroll, listen, when the Spurs give up on you, generally speaking, you aren't good. And I think I he really just, he, he didn't, it wasn't like he fell out of favor in San Antonio. He just, like you said, fell off the freaking map, man. He just, they just let him go. They just, they basically just said, cool, you're never going to play for four and a half months. And then we'll figure out a buyout. Like he was just out of the rotation. Um, didn't even get a sniff when the Spurs were struggling. It was very confusing. Um, but to me, it's an indicator that he's lost it or, or, or yeah, to me, it's an indicator that he's lost it. I don't need to go any further than that. So unless he looks really good with Houston, I am not touching Carroll. John Conchar, he, he has some fun highlights with the Grizzlies. Like this is a dude who does a bunch of stuff. He, uh, seems to, his highlights mostly seem to be him getting crazy steals or hustle plays or knocking down crucial, um, crucial threes. I mean, he's, he is sort of the ultimate hustle end of bench type of player. But like you said, in college, he was super productive. He averaged like 18, nine and four as a senior at, at Fort Wayne. Like he's a, he's a baller. Um, the problem is that there are a lot of six, five dudes who do a lot of good stuff. It would be more helpful for Johns, aka um, Jitty, aka Real Heads Only. If if your boy Jitty had like a certifiable NBA skill, I would be more excited about him sticking. But again, end of the bench minimum, I would take a flyer on this dude for sure. So I'm all in on Kenny Hustle. I'm out on Shemi. I'm out on Damari Carroll, and I'm in on Conchar. Bob, thank you for your efforts. Everyone else. Thank you for your efforts. I appreciate you. I know Bob got a lot of praise here. But this whole experiment doesn't need Bobs. It needs lots of folks. And you all, the non-Bobs listening, are lots of folks. If you submitted a question, I appreciate you. If you listen every week, I appreciate you. If this is your first time ever listening to the podcast, what a time to come on board. You're a strange one, but welcome. I'm so happy to have you. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can get it wherever they already listen to podcasts. Just search Flops on Blazers. We'll be there waiting for you. Thanks for listening. I will talk to you soon.